0: Welcome Ooh. back, everyone. <laughs> yes! I don't know why we laugh at the beginning of every pod, but it just feels right. <laughs> it
1: feels right because this is my favorite thing to do every week.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. No matter what the news looks like outside, the fact that I can just sit down and watch Star Trek and kind of just shelter in place <laughs> makes me want to laugh every week.
1: Ashley, this weekend, we were watching 14 episodes for this podcast episode, so... It was really nice to be just watching Star Trek. And Ashlyn took one for the team and watched all of Generations. Yes. <laughs> she literally texted me just timestamps of just watch the scene and the scene. And I was like, God bless. I do not want to have to go through that torture. So,
0: yeah. And I kind of want to save watching all of Generations, save that magic for when we have our movie series. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> you gotta yeah. prepare for that. Right. So, Rihanna. Tell everyone why we are here today. What are we covering? I would be happy to, sir. <laughs> <laughs> wow, well, talk about generations. Great work.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Today, we are on episode two of our family series, and this episode will be featuring the characters from Star Trek The Next Generation, but not all of the characters because there are a lot of who talk about family, and so Ashley and I decided instead of giving you a five-hour podcast, we would split up into two parts. So this is part one of our Next Generation family episode, and we will be covering the characters of Deanna Troy and her mother Loaxana Troy, William Riker, Geordi LaForge, Beverly Crusher, Wesley Crusher, and our very own Jean-Luc Picard. Woo! So, we are very excited to be talking about these families and their dynamics and what we discovered in these 14 episodes we watched. And you probably saw that we posted an episode watch list guide at the beginning of this week. So, we will be posting one of those guides for every single one of our podcast episodes, including this coming Monday. We will be posting mm-hmm. one for part two of the Next Generation series. And just so, if you want to watch along before you listen to this pod, you are welcome, but no
0: pressure. Yeah, I don't think you have to watch all 14 episodes. We had a God blast. No. Yeah, we were even sometimes just looking for one-liners <laughs> that yeah, so, you know, just tiny things about these characters. But also, if you're looking to marathon some great, fantastic Star Trek episodes, then there you go. You got a list to look at. Yeah.
1: And we didn't put all fourteen on there because some of them literally had, yeah. like Ashland said, one Five line in it. So <laughs> didn't want to mislead anyone.
0: Yeah. Well, so the first thing that I am realizing in starting next generation over again and looking at it from the perspective of family is that the Enterprise D has become a family ship. Of course, the original Enterprise just had Kirk and Spock and McCoy and all the normal people, but it wasn't a family ship. It was yeah, a Yeah, no no children in sight on. <laughs> there no unless it was some weird episodes <laughs> <laughs> right right <laughs> or an uh,
1: animated series episode where they turn into children but you know <laughs> mm, mm, Love that's that. A whole other thing to unpack <laughs> i think that's also a tng episode <laughs> oh i mean yeah it's called rascals and it's amazing <laughs> yeah anyway i think that's a really good point to bring up ashlyn is the fact that Not only are we talking about the dynamics of family with our main characters of the next generation, we're also seeing that family is a more intrinsic part of the ship itself and of day-to-day life. And that completely changes how Starfleet personnel navigates their difference between work and
0: family. I think it's really interesting that there are families aboard the Enterprise because, there are so many dangerous moments that happen. Oh God, right? It's a lot of pressure on Picard and everybody who works on the Enterprise because there are children and family members aboard, and it definitely creates a different dynamic. And I'm wondering, from the perspective of Starfleet, do you think this became a demand over the years that people were not able to have families because of their Starfleet career? And so as a compromise, you can just bring them aboard. <laughs> You know, kind of maybe, you know, the answer to the military lifestyle, you know, like if you're in America, at least, and you're in the military, your family is generally transferred from state to state all of the time. And you might be living somewhere for a couple years, then you move somewhere else for a couple years. And then, of course, if you're deployed in combat. Whoever's in the military will go out and leave their family behind. And so I think this must just be Starfleet's answer is let's just bring the family aboard and they understand the risks.
1: Yeah, I honestly think that they had gotten enough of complaints and enough people dropping out of Starfleet to start families that they're like, we need to change something about how family units work and make ships more family friendly. Because I mean, a lot of these missions are into a deep space and they take years and years and for someone who just had a kid, you know, they don't want to leave their child at home, it, practically not
0: even be raised by them. You know, it changes the dynamic completely. I think it gives people that solution. And what's interesting on the Enterprise is of our senior officers, none of their families are living aboard the Enterprise, except, of course, To begin with. Wesley. Yeah. yeah, to begin with. We see O'Brien's family later, which we'll be covering next week in that episode. Mm-hmm. And Worf. Oh, and Worf. Yeah, and Worf. Mm-hmm. So it definitely starts out so there's not much family and then we get more involved as we continue in the series. Mm-hmm. I have a
1: question, actually. Just a fun little thing to get us started. Ashley. if you were a mother,
0: first of all, would you go into Starfleet and would you bring your kids along and your husband? I would definitely go into Starfleet. I kind of love the idea that me and my husband are a Starfleet captain power couple. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, I kind of like Geordi's parents where I'm the captain, my husband's an admiral or something like yes. that. I think... Oh, it would be tough. I think initially when the kids are young, I might take a couple of years off and raise them while they're little and then maybe bring them aboard my ship. I guess it depends on what point I'm at in my career. I definitely want to be uh, on that command training program with Tilly. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> so. I think I would bring them, but I would want my kids to know what they're getting into, because I mm. don't want, like, a Jake Sisko situation. Oof. Yeah, Very fair. I don't know. R- what about you, Rihanna?
1: Well, I don't want children, so... Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's, I mean, I would bring my cat aboard, and... I'd be happy with that. And my wife.
0: So (laughs) it would be great. Your kitty could play with Spot.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Lily and Spot.
0: (laughs) Lily and Spot hanging out together. (laughs) Okay, so I think let's start off with a really bold choice. Let's talk about Lawaks on a Troy. And yes, Deanna yes. Troy. Let's just go and dive right into it. And obviously, since we're talking about the next generation, we're not gonna be talking about Luoxana in, in Deep Space Nine. Similar to our original series episode, we will be spoiling the whole lives of the people we are talking about today in the mm-hmm. context of the next generation. So for Picard at the end, we won't talk about anything happening in Picard, just everything that we know from the next generation. All right, so let's get into it. Rihanna, when do we see on a Troy? And I want you to tell me everything you know about her and what you think of her.
1: All right, tall order. Let's go. Yes. <laughs> we first see her in the season one episode called Haven. This is an episode where Troy is forced into this arranged marriage from two families, and Loxana thieves on with all her glory, with all of Major Barrett's Star Trek fame. Troy warns Picard, saying, My mother's a little eccentric. (laughs) So so Loxana Troy is very entrenched in. The culture on Beta Zed. She's a full Betazoid. She's telepathic with people
0: who are also telepathic. Also, yeah, also like, telepathic. She speaks fluently with Troy in her mind, even though Troy is half human. Just like Troy, she can glean surface
1: emotions, and she can get a little deeper and know when people are lying to her. She has more power than Deanna does, as Deanna is half human. So we see. A woman who is very confident in herself. She's taken a lot of lovers. She's explored a lot of places. She's kind of like a free movement 70s vibe, you know, is kind yeah. of uh, the style I was getting from re rewatching these episodes. And hot take, she did not really annoy me at all, this rewatch. And I was surprised because as a young kid watching The Next Generation, she annoyed the you know what out of me. I was always just like, oh my god, another Loxana episode like good lord this woman is crazy you know and now re-watching it I found her to be still a little wild but also just fun to watch and every episode with her in it is just some really great shenanigans but it also has some really deep moments of heart and That's what I really like about her character is the fact that she is seemingly a very surface level character until we get into the deeper episodes and begin to learn more about her. Because A lot of that is just the way in which she presents herself as this fun, carefree kind of person where actually on the inside, there's a lot of loneliness and a lot of desire to be connected with Troy better, but she doesn't know how. And so I can see this again and again when she comes on screen is that she's trying desperately to be a mother to Deanna that she never really could be because they never really connected in this
0: way. Yeah, how about you, Ashlyn? I agree with you that I did not find Lwaxana as frustrating as I have in the past. And I think something that really helped me was watching this episode where she's introduced. Because it reminded me of who she is at her core. In the episode Haven, I really liked the man who Troy was betrothed to. He's a part of the Miller family, who they say was an old friend of Troy's father, and in beta said tradition, this is a genetic bonding where you marry a family friend, I guess, yeah, to yes. continue the line. Wyatt says it, I think the best. He says, Your mother is honest. Lawaksana <laughs> says later in the episode that humans tend to think one thing and then say another. And that's why she doesn't like humans as much. And that also explains why Luoxana is so honest. Because at all times, she's saying everything that she's thinking. And Mm -hmm. she's not afraid to out other people and announce what they are thinking, too. Absolutely. And that's what causes so much chaos around her, is she is constantly dropping truth bombs that are uncomfortable for everybody else. And sometimes you can't tell if she really is telling the truth or if she's joking. Because throughout... This episode and throughout her life, she always jokes that Captain Picard is in love with her. And she says, Oh, Captain, you're thinking of yes. me in this way. And I think she does it to tease him because it makes him so uncomfortable. But mm-hmm. time after time, Picard continues to rescue her. I think only because she is Troy's mom. So another thing I was thinking about with Lawaksana is when I'm watching this episode with the Millers in Haven, I'm wondering why Lawaksana married a human as her first marriage and then ended up giving birth to have Troy. She doesn't seem to enjoy humans that much. Even when she's with the Millers, she's constantly insulting them and fighting with them. And a lot of this is kind of tensions between the in-laws, which can happen. Which (laughs) Uh, also, can I say that this is perfect for thanksgiving
1: talking about an episode like this because even though i hope that we're all doing zoom thanksgivings if we aren't home with our families yes there's always a little bit of tension within the in-laws or the families so yeah just gonna
0: point that out. i feel like there's tension without any in-laws it's perfect for thanksgiving <laughs> week <laughs> <laughs> So I'm thinking a lot about how Luaxana interacts with the Millers, and it does make me wonder why she married a human in the first place, mostly because she's so obsessed with Betazoid tradition. The main reason she's fighting with the Millers is because it is over the type of wedding ceremony she wants to have for Troy. And of course, we have to mention the traditional wedding ceremony has everybody naked Mm -hmm. and The Millers, of course, don't really want that. At least the mother doesn't. I'm just curious what your thoughts are about Lwaxana's relationship with such harsh traditions that are on Mm -hmm. beta set. Picard also says in Haven that Deanna Troy is trapped by the customs of her homeworld, which the facts of the 24th century life have made unwise and unworkable, and I wish I could intervene. And so Picard Mm. is judging this ancient and to him kind of archaic tradition of arranged marriages. And he wishes he could stop it because Troy clearly does not want to marry Wyatt. And so I'm curious why Lwaxana is so obsessed with this tradition. And yet she married a human and Lwaxana herself is not a traditional person at all. And so I'm curious, what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I was confused by this because, first of all, may I mention that I really enjoyed the fact Troy said to her, humans don't often like true honesty. And it reminded me very deeply of the Coat Milat in Picard. I know we said we were going to talk about Picard, but this isn't really a spoiler. Yeah, the Romulans who follow absolute candor and how a lot of people find it very abrasive and they seem very rude, but they're just being truthful. And I love truth. I mean, yes, it can be very harsh sometimes, but I think it's way better than these sort of like half lies or like passive misdirections that humans do a lot. And it's way less confusing. (laughs) And so I thought that that was a really interesting comparison. But I do think maybe she did like humans and then something went wrong with her husband after she married because she seems to not like Troy's father Is he dead? He passed away when Troy was three, I believe. Yeah. And maybe it comes from a place of grief that she doesn't want to associate with human culture as much because it brings her closer to her grief about losing her husband. But she says that her last valet tried to rid Deanna of her accent. And it seems like Loxana is trying to dictate a lot of what her daughter is and to not have Deanna remind her of her husband. And so I think maybe her hatred of humans or maybe hatred is a little too strong, but her distaste for humans and for cultures that aren't directly related to Beta Zed can be directly tied to the death of her husband and why she probably just splits from one lover to another because she doesn't want to fall into that kind of love again.
0: I love what you said, and I think you're probably right, but it makes me think deeper about was Lwaxana's marriage arranged? because she's the daughter of the fifth house owner of the sacred chalice (laughs) right? (laughs) and so was she married off to a human because they were trying to make peace was the federation Mm. trying to make peace with the betazoids ashley that's a great guess i really like that i really doubt the federation would have an arranged marriage to make peace but maybe before the federation was involved or this was some outside thing Mm -hmm. luwaxana's family forced her to marry this human or maybe luwaxana just fell in love with him and kind of had a, a Sarek moment and said I married him because it was logical um, <laughs> right? or you know she yeah. I don't know and I want to know because she's so obsessed with continuing this Betazoid tradition yet she also apologizes to Troy in the beginning of this episode and she says I'm sorry about this Deanna like I'm sorry to uproot your entire life but the Millers tracked me down and reminded me of this ceremony and so Lwaxana wasn't actively trying to give away her daughter, which makes me think maybe Lwaxana did have an arranged marriage. I'm just not sure. But we have all of these strange little pieces around her, and I'm just not quite sure how to fit them all together. And that's kind of also what I love about Lwaxana
1: as much as the truth that she tells, she keeps a lot close to the chest. And Ashlyn, I really like that theory about the arranged marriage. I also thought that it was interesting that nearing the end of Haven, Loaxana says to Deanna, try and remember your heritage, little one. And again, it's hammering home this idea that she has to sort of adhere to this culture and that Loaxana keeps bringing up to Deanna, are you happy here on this ship? Wouldn't you be happier at home? I think that maybe it's partially wanting Deanna to be more a part of Zoid culture, but it's partially probably because she misses her. You know, I think that sometimes it's just her mom just misses her daughter and maybe she's like, hey, come home more often. Like you're always on this starship and I the only time I get to see you is when I like gate crash the
0: Enterprise <laughs> for some reason or another. I think so often when Mothers lose their children to life when they move mm-hmm. out and they have their own thing going for them. A lot of the time, parents in general can't figure out what to do with their lives because their children was their whole life. And then yeah. now that they left, and in the case of Luoxana, Troy is... Having the great post on the Enterprise. She is Seriously. on the flagship of the most important ship in the whole Federation. And so Lawaksana should be extremely proud of her. But because they've had this rocky relationship for their whole life, all mm-hmm. she can say to Troy is, Why aren't you married? You should be thinking about my future with grandchildren. Yeah. And I think you're totally right. I think it's she's only saying all of this because she misses her. And Lawaksan is lonely. She doesn't mm-hmm. have seemingly have much of a life outside of whatever Troy is doing. I do feel sorry for her, and I wish that she could have that same brutal honesty with Deanna in those moments. Be- but and you're totally right. She holds it to the chest. She is only kind to Deanna in very small moments when it really matters yeah
1: like in the episode menage of troy where in the beginning of this episode she says you're all i have my only concern is for your happiness and that's a moment of true honesty and of true vulnerability i think that's another thing that lwaxana struggles with is being vulnerable because it's way easier to put on this like fun, loving, goofy mask than it is to be vulnerable, especially with a family member. On paper, it might be easier to be vulnerable with your family because, hey, they're your family. They love you no matter what. But I think, honestly, that's not usually how it works. I think we have a difficult time being vulnerable with our family because either there's so much baggage that comes with that or there's just too much to process and too much to contend with. There's like almost too much history, you know, whereas a friend you've only known for three or four years, they won't judge you because they didn't put diapers on you and sing you to bed every night. Those bonds are so deeply entrenched that I think it can be harder, especially for a mom to be vulnerable to her daughter because it reverses these roles that are given at
0: birth. You know what I mean? Yes. After Deanna's father's death, Lwaxana does not have her status any longer because she's an unmarried daughter of the fifth house and she's a widow mm-hmm. and she's had to fend for herself and advocate for her family and work for her family. I mean, probably because she's quote unquote royalty on beta z. I guess they have their own family fortune. I don't I have mm-hmm. no idea about any of yeah, that. Yeah, no clue. Yeah. Maybe Loaxana doesn't have to work and be a single mom to Deanna. Of course she is a single mom, mm-hmm. um, but she might not have to work for her money to support her but i just wonder if Luaxana is trying to both make troy as independent as Luwaxana is i don't know she's such a enigma to me i do want to talk about the scene in haven when troy loses it Before the wedding, there is a dinner where all of the Enterprise staff, as well as the Miller family and the Waxana are all together, and there's arguments happening between the in-laws and everybody's fighting, and then Troy just loses it, and she leaves and says she doesn't care, you know, about the ceremony, and I found this very surprising that Troy would lose her cool, because when I think about Troy compared to the rest of the senior officers, she's easily the calmest one in every situation when there's a crisis you can count on troy to keep her head and the fact that she's losing it over these small things was shocking to me and it was also a reminder that when we're with our family we do revert back to who we were when we were maybe i mean i know there's no high school maybe on beta z but for me when i'm with my family when i'm living in the home where i was raised for the majority of my childhood i'm acting like a dumb high schooler who who's being stubborn about taking out the trash. (laughs) And that's not who I am. I am an independent woman who will take out the trash. Don't even worry (laughs) about it. And so when I see Troy losing it, I think about maybe that was their relationship in the past was Deanna Troy loses it. Then she runs away and maybe they'll deal with the problem. Maybe they won't. But Troy's running from her mom. And this happens also in Menage of Troy. Anytime Lwaxana gets a little too crazy, Deanna yells at her and leaves. Yeah. And... Seemingly, that's the only thing that causes Loaxana to calm down. That's the reason the wedding turned out to be a compromise was because Deanna yelled at her mom. And so that's not an effective means of communication. And Troy's a counselor and she knows that. And it just had me thinking about how complex the relationship with our parent is and how much it can interfere with your life. Absolutely. Thank you for saying that. I remember listening to the podcast, Dear Hank
1: and John, and I believe it was Hank who said that family are best at pushing our buttons because they created them. Mm. And I just think that that is so, so true and something that probably happens a lot when Luoxana comes onto the Enterprise is first of all, it's always a little jarring when a parent comes into your place of work. We talked about this a bit in our last episode, or even just into your space that they're not usually in. It feels like they're sort of a guest in a life that's not really a part of yours in the same way it used to be. And so the dynamics can be really Tricky and complicated to navigate. And I think also the fact that Deanna sort of lost it really, first of all, like very understandable. Because imagine having a mom who is in your head all the time, who wants you to come downstairs. She doesn't have to yell. She just says, little one, in your head, come downstairs. Like I would probably be losing it a lot because I love my mom with every core of my being. But no one wants their mom in their head all the time. And <laughs> <No> so <laughs> one
0: anyone in their head all of no. the time.
1: No, our head is supposed to be ours alone. And so I think that that has got to be extremely frustrating. And Deanna often refuses to speak to her mother through their telepathic connection. And instead is like, mother, we're around humans. Let's talk out loud. And I think it's partially etiquette, but
0: it's also partially her being like, get out of my freaking head, mom. <laughs> I totally agree. I'm also thinking about the Enterprise crew and how they're reacting to seeing Luaxana on board and her relationship with Troy. Because when Troy first announces that she's getting married, they're in, I believe, the ready room together. Yeah, they're having a meeting and it's just the senior officers at the table. And Deanna says, I'm getting married, I'll be leaving the ship nobody says congratulations to her. And this tells me we are in season one, but Mm -hmm. there's a little bit of coldness, I think, In the Next Generation cast, I hope I don't get any hate mail for this, but (laughs) I think especially in the first couple seasons, it takes them a while to become a family, and even though they're a good team, I found it really surprising. Haven, I believe, is just the 10th episode, so we're pretty early on, but I just found it surprising that nobody congratulated her, because that's what you say when someone's getting married. Picard does say congratulations at a different time, Mm -hmm. but... Especially when Beverly is there and their friends. they're friends. I don't think they're friends yet, honestly. Oh, like, maybe not. we don't okay. see them develop their
1: powerful, amazing female friendship until later on. And that's such a good point. I was wondering about that too. I think maybe it was because of Troy's expression. She looked devastated. And so maybe yeah. they're picking up on that and they're like, oh boy, maybe this is touchy for her or something.
0: Yeah, no, that could be a good point too. I just wanted to just briefly mention because we talked so much in the episode last week about how the original series crew is so tight and so just familiar <laughs> with each mm-hmm. other that this crew is not quite the same way until later on, which is natural. That's maybe more realistic. Right. So I'm also wondering, how does Riker fit in to all mm-hmm. of this? Because especially in Menage a Troy, there's kind of a fling. So now we're in season three, there's a little bit of a fling going on between Deanna and Riker. And they're almost back together. I see them holding hands on the planet. I think they have this kind of relationship off and on where they'll be together and then they are more friends and then they're mm-hmm. together again. And later Worf is with oh, Troy. God. Yeah. <laughs> the time period we shall never speak of. <laughs> I just want to talk a little bit about Riker in the Menage Troy episode and how he works with the Waxana the biggest thing I get from Riker is he does not fight Loaxana at all. And no. I definitely see him as someone who's trying to please the mother-in-law. And yes. that's what tells me that Riker is in this for the long haul, because obviously he's going to be nice to everybody, but Riker can be kind of sassy. Yeah. yeah, He can be snippy to people, especially someone like Loaxana, who's disrupting the whole mission of the Enterprise. And... The only Again. time I see real frustration with her is when they're down on the planet in Menage a Troy. Riker and Troy are seemingly having this romantic picnic together where they're looking at the flowers and they're making out and then they hear Luwaxana's voice and they just, oh. uh, just sigh. <laughs> Troy like puts her head on
1: Will's shoulder. It's hilarious.
0: Yeah. And throughout that episode, he's very comforting to LaWaxana. He's very kind to her. He has nothing bad to say about her, except maybe the occasional glance <laughs> of horror to somebody, to Picard <laughs> or to Troy. But I just thought that was interesting that he was playing it very cool with LaWaxana.
1: Yeah, and partially is because they're in a crisis and he turned into Commander Will Riker in that moment. He's like, oh, I gotta ensure the safety of my crew, but also because he loves Troy and he, by extension, tolerates Loaxana as much as one can. I think that seeing Deanna be worried about Loaxana helped him to center himself and take charge. I'm not trying to count out Will Riker because I think he's always a gentleman to Loxana and it's something I really respect about him. I feel like as people, we can complain about our parents as much as we want, but if anyone says one word against them, get ready to fight, you know? (laughs) And so I think that that's also the case is that Riker will never say something against the Loxana, especially in front of Deanna because he loves her and he wants to stay in her good books and he's still kind of courting her in his Riker way. And so yeah, I think that this is a really great episode because it puts all our characters in a scene of crisis. And I think that this is where families in Star Trek thrive really well sometimes, sadly, is that you're given a crisis situation and people put aside their differences and help each other. I love that about this, but it's also tough that that's the only way that Luoxana and Deanna can actually talk and com- connect is when they're literally being kidnapped.
0: Yeah, you definitely see their barriers come down between their relationship and of course Troy is terrified when Luoxana's brain is about to be scanned and she could awesome. die. Like that's horrible. And so of <laughs> course Troy is freaking out about that. But I also loved seeing Major Barrett calm the Ferengi down and yeah. just everything about that episode on the surface is a little cringy, but when you really watch what a master Lwaxana is... To the Ferengi and also just what a master Majel Barrett is as an actress. Yes. I just have to shout out for a minute. And I love the scenes of her and Patrick Stewart interacting oh together because I think it's game recognizing game. <laughs> she yes. is such a force. And such an important part of Star Trek, there is a scene where Patrick Stewart actually bows to her. And I kind of hope that wasn't scripted because it's Patrick Stewart saying, You have basically helped create Star Trek. Yeah, With the Jean. mother of Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. And before we move on, I also want to talk about in the episode The Cost of Living, which I believe is season five. Lawaksana appears again on The Enterprise, but this time she announces that she is getting married. And this episode, I thought, was very interesting because you see is basically marrying some guy she met online. She's never even met him. Right, yeah. I am wondering how desperate she is to become a woman of quote-unquote status again. And I think in this episode, we really see how beta Betazoid rearing is really crashing around her ears because Mm -hmm. the things that she used to hold so dear, like the wedding ceremony and her rank as a daughter of the fifth house and all of these things that she used to hold sacred, she's now willing to just marry some random guy just so she can have some meaning in her life again. And I thought it was interesting that Troy kind of became the mom in this episode. Deanna says to her, I'm only asking who he is and where you met him. Those are not unreasonable questions. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and to me, this is what a mom asks her high school age daughter, you know, who's this <laughs> random guy you're going out with. Yeah. This is not what a, a daughter should be asking her older mother, you know? Yes,
1: absolutely. I thoroughly enjoyed this episode because it gives us a deeper side to Lwaxana that, we had been hinting at in previous episodes, but never quite given. And I think that here, Luoxana, I find myself really empathizing with her and with Alexander. We won't talk too much about Alexander, but he does appear in this episode and he is sort of the grandson role for Luoxana. She's able to take him under her wing. And I think it's really lovely that they form this bond. And I think because it allows. Lwaxana to sort of find her inner child again. And he sort of teaches her. She even says the the episode like, oh, I set out to teach you about life and you ended up teaching me. And I think that Lwaxana here is trying to get her life under control and to hold on to things that make her happiest but we're seeing people trying to control her. And she is a free bird. She is not to be caged by these marital traditions. And so I think it is so powerful at the end of this episode when she comes out stark naked to her wedding, just like she knows is a part of her tradition. And she's not letting these men dictate what she should wear and who she should be. And she doesn't even get married because of that. But she, I think, is liberated by that and is sort of reborn from that moment. And
0: it's just a really great scene. I totally agree with you. And I think a lot of people don't like Lawaxana because I'm just gonna be blunt about this, because it is an older actress playing a very sexy character and she's going mm-hmm. about the character in a very sexy way. And every scene her, you know, her cleavage is exposed. And I think a lot of people are uncomfortable with seeing women show sexuality when they're older. I mean, I've even seen a lot of comments on, you know, YouTube videos with Loaxana and even like different podcast reviews I've listened to before where people just hate on her because she's an older woman who's daring to be sexual. And wow. it's sad to me because I think that's not something that we see or have a problem with older men. When men are older and they're trying to hit on younger women. Like quote unquote silver fox. Yeah, exactly. And we have the cougar term, you know, which mm-hmm. maybe you would say Lwaxana is a cougar, but she's not only going after younger men. She's just acting age appropriate, but she wants to show off her body. Yeah. And I think a lot of the hate comes from that fact. I thought it was just this is an appropriate time to break it down because who knows when we're going to talk about Lwaxana in depth again on this podcast. So I just wanted to say it here that I think it's upsetting. And something that we should work to overcome is to change your mindset about how women are presented, no matter how old they are. And if lwaxana wants to go naked to her wedding which is literally a tradition so like she should do that that's great but if she wants to dress however she wants who cares and i think when i was younger even myself i laughed at lwaxana because oh she's really you know she's trying so hard or i don't know i just think that because of how bold she is and how independent she is she gets a lot of hate and i think now that i'm older and i've had a long time to think about a lot of this kind of stuff i love her a lot more and i respect her a lot more even though she is not the best mom (laughs) but Mm -hmm. the point is that she's doing the best she can and what i love so much about the cost of living episode is her relationship with Alexander, as you mentioned. And the fact that she can be so honest with Alexander and she doesn't even question it, but she tells Alexander things that she doesn't even tell Troy. And I think it's because she's not afraid of messing up Alexander's life or saying the wrong thing to him or anything. She's just being herself. And that is exactly what Deanna needed when she was growing up, was the same kind of wisdom that Loaxana give Alexander. And I think it also says a lot about the relationship we have with our grandparents is mm-hmm. when you're with your grandparents, they feel like the pressure's off. They just get to hang out with you for a couple hours. Or, I mean, a lot of people are raised by the grandparents, but I think a lot of grandparents can feel freer because, oh, I'm not really the one raising this one. And that's how Loaxana feels in this episode is I just want to help him and that's my goal and that's it. And I think something so beautiful to see from Lwaxana and then to see how in the end she is able to overcome her struggle and realizes she does not need to get married. (laughs) She doesn't need a man. And everything that she was telling Troy in season one about her wedding, she's now totally rejecting. And I just thought it was a beautiful turn for her and a beautiful rejection of that tradition that she felt so bound to for so long.
1: Yes, Ashlyn. Phenomenal.
0: I, I have nothing to add. That was really beautiful. So
1: I'm thinking now we can transition over to our number one, Will oh, Riker, I... <laughs> which we found some very juicy Will Riker family episodes. So strap in, everyone. I wanted to first dive in and talk a bit about the two episodes, Time Squared and The Icarus Factor, because they're back to back in season two, whoop, whoop. I believe, yeah. It was fantastic. They're all fantastic. Yeah, going back to these early seasons made me realize that, oh, it wasn't as bad as I remember. Like, these seasons, they may be a little rough, but you're getting to know everybody. So a part of that getting to know everybody is that we get these little mentions of family. So in the beginning of Times Squared, Riker's cooking up these eggs. He's got a skillet and everything. And he invites some people over for breakfast. It's really cute. It's like a nice little luncheon he's having with his friends, and I adore it. And he says he learned to cook because his father wouldn't cook and because his mother died when he was very young. And that's the only little snippet we get from that episode of Riker, this little taste. But already, I can hear the bitterness in his voice and hear that he
0: doesn't seem to have a good relationship with his father. As Worf chomps on those eggs, and he gets a <laughs> taste of them, we get a taste of Will's relationship. <laughs>
1: <laughs> OMG, that's perfect. So Ashley I thought then maybe you could talk a bit about
0: how we get to see Kyle Riker in The Icarus Factor. We get a whole Riker episode, which is great. Mm-hmm. Riker's dad... Shows up in this episode because Riker has been offered a promotion. So this is a big deal. And he's going to be given his own ship is being offered the role of captain on a ship. I believe that is going into this really obscure part of the universe that has rarely been explored Mm -hmm. before. And they want Riker to lead the ship. And so his dad, Kyle Riker, comes on board to give him the information and we learn later that kyle has volunteered to come aboard because he wants to make amends with his son Mm -hmm. and what a doozy is kyle Riker. he is a wow he's He's a a lot lot. (laughs) (laughs)
1: yeah ashlyn texted me because she watched this episode first she just said he might be worse than Sarek. And I was like, <laughs> excuse me? <laughs> like, what? So don't know what you all think, but yeah.
0: I I also just want to say in my defense that I love Sarek and would die for him, but I would not die for Kyle Rager. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know many people who would except for maybe like Pulaski.
1: Oh, ooh. ooh. Ooh, hot tea.
0: Ooh, hot tea. <laughs> <laughs> okay. As and, and Kyle are apparently lovers. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll definitely get more into that in a couple minutes here. I want to talk about the scene where they first meet. So Kyle beams aboard and Kyle is asking, well, aren't you happy to see me? And Riker says, it's been 15 years. I don't think excitement is really the emotion that would qualify. Oof. So. Ouch. 15 years since they've seen each other, that's a long time. I mean, Riker's what, like mid-30s? That's like half Half. his life he (laughs) hasn't seen his dad. He's on the flagship of the Enterprise, first officer, a position of prestige, and he's never talked to his dad this whole time.
1: Let me just say that Kyle also is a huge part of Starfleet, and he's very well-known in the starfleet community he's kind of like a hot shot you know similar to will
0: in a way i want to say he's not a part of starfleet he is a advisor to starfleet so he's so intelligent in his field that he's been a liaison yeah he's like consulting with them all the time and so
1: he is clearly around starfleet a lot and would definitely have an opportunity to go onto the Enterprise and see his son, but it's clear both of them were not doing the reaching out, but especially Will was just not Ready to talk to him.
0: Yes. Riker was running every single time Kyle tried to talk to him. He would make some excuse and say, I got to go. And I thought the scene in 10 Forward was really interesting because we have O'Brien and Riker sitting together. And again, don't worry, we'll talk more about O'Brien later. <laughs> Hold your horses. But O'Brien, I love that scene. He's like, because <laughs> Riker looks really sad. And he's like, oh, is it a woman? No, is it career? Career? Family. And O'Brien says, family is trouble. You choose your enemies, you choose your friends, but family, that's in the stars. And I think that's a great quote from a funny source. I love that <laughs> A very says that. interesting source. Yeah. <laughs> but as they're talking, Kyle is walking around Ten Ford and everybody knows him. They're Ooh. holding out their hands to him. They want a hug. And Pulaski, she wants a kiss. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Wow. I did not expect this coming into this episode. I did not remember that weird not weird. I guess it's it, it's a very valid relationship, and I'm glad that they have their enjoyment of each other but I'm sure it made Riker very uncomfortable it would make me really uncomfy
0: yeah especially that she hadn't mentioned it before she has this line where she's like it never came up and I'm Uh like what
1: (laughs) yeah I mean but I guess how do you bring that up in conversation
0: like hey I used to bang your father (laughs) like that's I don't know I bet she knew that they didn't have a good relationship. And so she probably didn't want to bring it up to Will. But still, if I'm transferring to a new ship and I have banged the father of someone on the ship, I'm going to at least say hi and say, oh, I knew your father, you know, yeah, or
1: something. So then we see Riker looking through his family photos, looking at st- pictures from Alaska and Worf comes in because Worf is going through his own battles in this episode, which we will discuss in the Worf section. Riker is holding this fish in one of the pictures and Worf is like, oh, did you catch that? And he's like, no, like he's all bitter about it. And he says that his dad essentially like didn't trust him to catch the fish on his own. And it seems like that is sort of the running narrative of his relationship with Kyle is the fact that he was never trusted enough to do things. And Troy is amazing in this episode, too. She says to Kyle, she said, you should honestly consider why you're so competitive with your own son. And she is calling him out and saying, does everything have to be a competition with you? Why would you have a relationship with your son that's based off competition? And Kyle is, I think, just expecting Riker to come back into the fold. He's trying to give this olive Branch with coming out to give him the mission briefing. And Troy also says to him, respect is earned, not bestowed. And I just love that quote. Love that. Yeah, same. It's such a good way of saying that you have not earned that trust or respect from Will and you have to go and get it. Like You can't just show up after all of these years and expect
0: forgiveness when their past is so tumultuous. I think this demonstrates something that happens a lot with Fathers and sons, or just parents and children, is that when the parent, so in this case, Kyle Riker, has such a gigantic ego, but he has had such a successful career, there is Mm. a disconnect between the two lives. And someone like Kyle Riker is known completely differently to people who he's worked with compared to his family. I'm sure even if Riker's mom was alive, she would agree with this. And Riker's family knows Kyle and knows what he's all about because they know his BS. And they know that even though he's had this amazing career and he is treated with so much respect from everybody else, He starts to believe that. And so even though he's not been a real father to Riker, when they're in one of their fights, Riker yells at him and says, I've been on my own since I was 15. And Kyle says, oh, come on. I hung in for 13 years. If that wasn't enough, then that's just too bad. Which is (laughs) what? Hanging in there for 13 years. Riker's 13. Kyle expects him to be on his own and totally functional. I'm learning so much about Riker in this episode. It's amazing that he is not more messed up than he is and that he's able to funnel those daddy issues somewhere else. Yeah. (laughs) But I just think that Kyle Riker has truly no idea why Will is rejecting him over and over again, because in Kyle's point of view, he's done everything right his whole life. And so why isn't that enough for Will? And even if he tries a little bit, he sits back and says, oh, yeah, I did it. I gave it all with my son. And he's still being a mean word about it.
1: <laughs> you yeah. Know? Yeah. I think that that's a really devastating scene where – it feels to me as though Kyle is acting as though Will was a burden or not worth his time or that his career was more important. And to just hear that from your own father must be so devastating. And then when they challenge each other to this duel, Riker says in the heat of their physical altercation, he says, you should have been the one to die, not her. And that I think is, you know, they're just really throwing physical and verbal blows to each other because it's the only way for them to get out their emotions. And it's really hard to watch because, as a very non confrontational, let's solve things by discussing it, let's not get into a fight about this kind of person, it's really hard for me to comprehend why people would want to like physically fight to solve their problems. And Pulaski even brings up, I don't understand why these men are doing it this way. And I don't know, Ashlyn, because they talked a bit about how like humans haven't actually evolved that much and we still have to solve problems by physically fighting one another but what did you make of this altercation?
0: I loved when Troy and Pulaski have that scene together where they're both just outrage and so annoyed that the Rikers have to fight it out. And I feel like that sometimes it's the year 2020. Why are we fighting with each other right now? But you know, they're feeling it. It's the 24th century, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> have we really evolved? I thought there were a couple of really good quotes that came out of that conversation One that Troy says is fathers continue to regard their sons as children well into adulthood and sons continue to chafe against their father's expectations of them. And Mm. so I think that's one explanation is Kyle truly never thinks that Riker has grown up, which I don't know. It's hard because... I think maybe this is the first time that Kyle Riker is seeing Will as a full adult because yeah. he's seeing him on the Enterprise and that Riker's in charge of, like, 800 people, you know? Mm-hmm. Kyle Riker also says to Will when he's trying to reach out to him, he says, Keeping in touch is not my strong suit. You know for being a parent there's no manual, no quick readout to get you through the next set of variables. You just got to wing it from day to day. Hmm. And then also he says, I'm sorry, I'm a quote machine, but it helps me to lay out my points. Absolutely. Then again, when they're fighting, Kyle Riker says, I can talk to admirals about anything in the galaxy, but I can't talk to you about how I feel.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And I think that's the quote that really sums everything up. And it's just like what we talked about with Waxana and Troy. There's so much baggage. They can't even begin to have a conversation because – Will Riker still remembers the circumstances of the picture in his quarters where he says, Oh, I remember it was the summer of sixty-nine and my dad put that damn fish (laughs) on my rod for me, even though I didn't catch it. You know, like he remembers those details because he's still mad at him. And that's what we do when we have that baggage with our family is we remember all the times they've wronged us and we can list it time after time after time. But so true. What Kyle is saying is, I give up. I don't know how to talk to you. And I think that was a big thing of him to admit. I still don't really understand at the end of this episode why they're able to break through and come together. And maybe it's just because Reger felt like he was able to yell everything he wanted to at his dad. And his dad is enjoying it. He's like, Yeah, get it all out. Mm-hmm. And maybe he's really hearing it for the first time. And when Riker takes him down and realizing his dad has been cheating for years, again, why does that not end the relationship right there? I don't know. I am not really satisfied by this ending personally (laughs) because I just don't think that the physical... Violence that game they played together really could realistically work out all their feelings. And we have no other Kyle Riker episodes in the entire of The Next Generation. And so does it really make a difference? You know, I think Kyle has this ego and he's like, I want to be able to say I have a good relationship with my son. So this one time I'm going to go visit him and that's it. I mean, do we see Kyle at the wedding with Troy? No. We never see Kyle again. And there are moments where Riker's close to death and we never see him. And I don't know when he passes away. I've not done my memory alpha research on Kyle, but I just think it's a terribly complex situation between them. Absolutely.
1: And I think that it's so complex in part because of his mother's death at an early age. And Kyle and Will are both tied together by grief, but they're also tearing each other apart by it. It is really hard to watch because Riker said in another episode that he would constantly ask his father questions about his mother – And it's got to be really hard for Kyle in that situation to keep hearing his son ask about her and having to relive those memories and relive that grief. So that also probably created a barrier early on and then the wound festered from there and made it harder and harder and the distance became greater until they just couldn't close the gap anymore. I think that we see a lot of absent fathers in the next generation. We're going to talk more about them in our second part, but I think that it does a lot of damage because even just absent parents in general, you know, it's it makes it harder to reconcile your childhood and your relationship with the remaining parent and your grief surrounding the parent who died. And I think that some families we will talk about did really well at still flourishing in an environment with one parent being gone. And some families did not, like the Troys and the Rikers, I think, had a really hard time, understandably, you know, and I think I I want to have some empathy for Kyle Riker about this situation. But he talks about how you didn't just lose a mother, I lost a wife, you know, like his grief is tantamount to wills. And I think that that sort of comparison of grief and one up in each other on their trauma and their grief, it just makes for this really unhealthy competition of trauma that's not effective in a situation like this. And I don't know. It's just I completely agree. It's not satisfying how this ends. I wrote in my notes. I guess fighting solved their problems? Question mark Was it cathartic? Question mark I don't think that that would be a cathartic enough experience. Just yelling at someone until Kyle Riker says, "All that kept me going was you." You know, that's sweet and all, but it just doesn't seem true to me because he
0: only stayed till he was 15. And that's not enough. I love everything that you said. I totally agree. I mean, Kyle only says one I love you to him. My reaction would be, one, I love you. That was a pitiable apology to him. And it's not really an apology. No. Like, you think, one, I love you, and, and it's all good, and we're going to go home, and, you know, I'm going to write in my diary about how you cured my daddy issues. No. Right. No. No, that's not how it works. I love what you brought up about how Will was talking to his father after his mother died, always asking him for stories. And we learned that in the Jordy episode, which we're going to move on to pretty soon. Will says he became obsessed with hearing stories of his mother to the point where he was creating memories that they were talking together and that he was having conversations in a family unit. And I mean, you know, he went to some therapy. I hope he went to some therapy oh, for boy. that because that is traumatic. And that's actually the reason why a lot of children do not deal with the death of their parents until much later. Unfortunately, I've had friends who their parents have passed away when they're younger, when they were eight or seven, but did not deal with it until they were 16 or 17. And it's because you're not equipped to deal with it and you don't even really understand the reality of your situation. And so I I really empathize with Riker in that moment where he's obsessing about his mother that he never really knew. And I can't imagine how hard that must have been for Kyle. That's the only thing I'll really defend him on is maybe he thought, well, I can't even cook, you know, like Will's mom could. I can't even do anything that she could. So I'm sure Kyle felt worse and worse and worse realizing how inadequate of a father he was once he lost his wife. My heart reaches out to him in that moment for both of them, just having to deal with... With the loss of a mother is just so insanely difficult. And I also want to mention that that's what I love so much about Troy in this episode. Similar to how Riker was very involved in the Loxana episodes, Troy is very involved in this episode with Riker's father, but instead of being the sympathetic, hopeful, be nice to your in-laws relationship she built with him, she is very, very hard on him because she's upset, at him. She knows. She's been hearing about Riker's issues with him for years at this point. Before Mm -hmm. we even met Riker Troy has been hearing about this. Troy, I love her in this episode because she is fiercely fighting for Riker and she is trying to show his dad this is not okay and you need to figure this out with him. The episode ends with Riker not taking the promotion and Mm -hmm. I do wonder if it was because of his father's association with the Mm -hmm. news of the promotion. Picard does have a beautiful scene in this episode where he lays the two options down. He says, if you do take this promotion, it will be a huge, important thing in your career. But you will go to a small sector of space. You will not be able to be in contact with anyone very often. You know, you'll be making important discoveries, but it's very much off the map. Mm -hmm. But if you stay as the first officer of the Enterprise, you come with this kind of prestige and glory and mystery around you. And I think that's such a better way to talk about a promotion than what Kyle would have said to Riker, which is take it, take it, take it. It's all about climbing the ladder and succeeding. So I love that Picard scene because it shows what a real father would say to his son. And I think sometimes Picard is everybody's dad even though he doesn't want kids. Yes. I think Picard just doles out this wisdom onto everybody that is in that situation very fatherlike to Riker. Absolutely. I just love that episode and I'm so happy we got to talk about it so much cuz that's it mm-hmm. for Riker's
1: family. That's all we know. Yeah, yeah. It's wild, but it's just it's so well done. Wow. Yeah. And so the only other snippet we get, like we talked about, of Riker's family is in the episode Interface, where we are mainly focusing on Jordi LaForge's family. And I was very happy to discover this episode. I didn't remember one thing about it. was delighted that it exists because it is a really good character study on Geordi. I feel like he is often disregarded in a lot of plot points. He's sort of the Scotty just down in the engine room working miracles every day and not getting a lot of recognition or love for it. Not a lot of good writing plots. He's never getting the girl. Weird anomalies are always happening to him. He gets the brunt of all of the strange plots. And so I'm really glad that in this episode we get a Deeper look into Jordy and into his family, and so this episode is a great mixture of spacey, Star Trekky, complicated sci-fi things and deep family issues and values, because. Jordy and how his visor works, Uh, he is able to connect easily with the interface and it is best for his neural system and everything. And it allows this interface probe to go down into not safe for human areas and do like rescue missions and stuff like that. It's a really cool piece of technology. And Jordy is practically the only one who can run it without a whole ton of training and extra calibrating of the machines. And so Jordy is about to go into this big mission where he's trying to save an entire crew of what 300 people I think it said and he learns maybe an hour or so before this mission that His mother, who is a captain of the starship Hera, has just gone missing, that the entire ship is just gone and no one knows where it is. So then we see Jordy having to face the fear of losing his mother right before an important mission, which really drives home that in Starfleet, having families can take a toll and can be very stressful because, you know, every Starfleet officer knows what they're signing up for when they get into Starfleet. And he knows that having parents in Starfleet is taking that risk of losing them on a mission. But I think that like all of us, we never seem to think it'll happen to us. We think, oh, we know the risk, but that won't happen to my mom. That won't happen to me. Like, I'll be careful. We'll all be cautious. But things happen in space and things happen in Starfleet all the time that are horrible and tragic and non explainable and this is one of these instances and i was really struck first of all and so glad that finally we see a family that seems really just to love each other and have no issues i was delighted yeah. to see jordy looking at these transmissions from his mother and she's talking about oh don't tell your father about the surprise party sisters doing well and it's just like ashlyn's a dream a starfleet powerhouse of a family <laughs> And so I was really interested in seeing these moments of Jordy looking back on these transmissions of his mom and also just stress for him because God, like I can't imagine trying to perform my duty while facing this deep fear that you're about to lose your mother and that his father and sister have already planning a funeral and have given up. What did you think, Ashlyn?
0: Well, in that scene where right after Jordy has found out He's sitting in his room playing the video you're talking about, where it's the mom, Captain the Forge, is sitting. And Riker comes in while he's in the middle of this video. And I thought it was so beautiful because Riker knows what's happened to Captain the Forge. And he says to Jordy. You don't have to do the mission. It's going to take 24 hours, but I'll recalibrate the interface and I'll do it myself. Riker doesn't say, but because of what we know about the interface, it will not work for Riker as well as it works for Geordi because Riker doesn't have the visor interface already in his brain. Mm -hmm. And Riker just basically sacrifices himself for Geordi's mental well-being and that was really, really beautiful to me. Just lovely display of family, yes. and you can tell how deeply this crew is starting to become connected as we continue to watch the next generation, and just how much they care about each other's mental health, which we do not see in the original series. You know, absolutely.
1: <laughs> They're like, "Sorry, you just lost your whole family. Keep working." <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, keep working. No breaks. And I think in a normal situation where if there wasn't this high pressure rescue operation they would give Jordy like a week off or something but Jordy unwisely in my opinion fights through it and we see the results of that is that he sees his mother everywhere in his work and even when he is hooked into the interface trying to save this crew he sees a vision of his mother. And of course, we learn throughout the episode that it's not really his mom, it's aliens who have read his mind and have taken the form of his mom. But throughout it, we see his struggle with the truth because he creates this whole situation in his mind where, oh, they've been caught in a warp bubble and Mm -hmm. it was this static chamber that sent them back to the planet. They were only here 10 days ago. And Data, who's Geordi's best friend and a brother, maybe a lover, depending on how you want to view the next generation. Yeah. Data knows Geordi the best and I thought it was also beautiful to see how Data handled him in this episode because Jordy comes in to talk to Data. He says he's just passing by, and Data is very direct and he says, Well, I know you want to talk about your mother, and then gives up when Jordy says, No, Jordy's being defensive about it. Of course, Jordy wants to talk about his mom, and Data knows it. And so they end up having this great discussion where Jordy's able to kind of get his feelings out. But I thought this episode. Was just a great example of how the people you work with and how your friends can really come in clutch for you (laughs) when you need it the most. And I thought it was really beautiful and very tragic that Jordy has to deal with the loss of his mother, as you said, when Starfleet and all the Laforges are already planning a funeral and a service for her.
1: Yeah, I think that it's really hard to watch because Jordi is not wanting to give up on his mom. Even as we said, even if his dad and sister are, he's familiar with these workarounds. And he's seen people come back to life. He himself came back to life in the episode Next Phase. They threw a funeral for him and he showed up at the funeral with Roe. <laughs> So I think living in that environment where people have been quote-unquote coming back from the dead for seven seasons from these crazy scientific ways, that it's not out of the realm of possibility that she could still be alive and that her crew is fine. So I completely understand. I think I would absolutely be in Jordy's position because also he's an engineer, so he needs hard evidence and he says that. He needs actually to see a body. As we talked about when Riker said, I pretty much manifested my mother being
0: alive. Jordy has this qu- quote where he says, well, at least you knew your mother was dead. If I could see a body, if there were wreckage... I could accept it, but my mother has just disappeared. I think about when that happens in real life, when you have these horrible situations where someone goes missing, where Mm -hmm. a child is kidnapped or just vanishes or dies mysteriously, and how you don't get the closure that you really need to move on. And some people just get trapped in this cycle over and over again where they can never truly move on. And I just get a hint of what Jordy is facing in this episode. And it is devastating.
1: And what makes it more horrible is that we don't get any sort of closure. I mean, I think the writers tried to wrap it up nicely to be like, oh, well, he's like, oh, I saw this alien present as my mom, so I got some closure. But I'm like, that's BS in my opinion. I think that he's saying that just to like put on a tough face because we never know, I don't think, what happens to Jordy's mom and if they ever find the Hera. And that is just devastating to me that Star Trek just left that in the wind and poor Geordi never gets any of that closure. And so I think that that's why he is willing to go so far. He's risking his life to try and find her because I think that family sometimes makes us do irrational things. I mean, our deep love for our family can drive us to kill, to sacrifice ourselves, to do all of these things that to anyone else would seem highly irrational, but to us seem like the only option.
0: That's exactly what Jordy does in this episode. He risks his life by going into the interface to talk to this alien, which he thinks is his mom. And I think his reasoning is, if I don't do it, I'll be haunted the rest of my life, which is fair. And Data knows he's going to do this. And he meets him at the interface chamber. And Data supports him every step of the way because he knows, I can't change your mind, but I can help you to stay safe. And yes. if that is not a true brother, I don't know what is. And Truly. I just I just have to continue to applaud data and how well he knows Geordie. And because Jordy would never do this normally. This is so out of character for Geordie <laughs> to risk his career to do something that's so crazy but he does for his family. And I totally agree with you. I think it's a fault of the writers in the next generation that we never know and we never have any closure Mm -hmm. or any, even a line dropped about, Oh, I was at my mother's funeral last week. That's why I wasn't in the episode, you know, (laughs) or anything like that. And so I do feel bad for Jordy that he is underserved and come on, poor LeVar Burton. He's an amazing actor. Give him some more family moments. (laughs) Truly.
1: Well, and the only way to defend the writer is I, can in this situation is that we didn't get closure just like Jordy didn't you know and so yeah. open-ended is to show that sometimes you never know and sometimes Ooh. you'll never find out and but like I don't know if the writers are really going for that I think that kind of forgot about it who knows but <laughs> if we're feeling that way I don't know
0: anyway the last thing about Jordy we do know is that well and who knows if it's actually canon but in the finale of Next Generation All Good Things Geordi does meet Picard when he's in the vineyard at Chateau Picard in the later timeline. And he says that he married Leah Brahms and he has three kids and one of them is about to enter Starfleet. And if you follow Jordy and know about him, he initially started his relationship with Leah Brahms because she was a hologram and he was using her image to help fix things on the Enterprise and try some experimental things. And those are Mm -hmm. some very questionable episodes. There's even a time where they meet each other. The real Leah Brahms meets jordy and it's very awkward. Uh As Picard passed Q test and so now that future is no longer the same but I do wonder and we get no hint of Geordi in Picard besides except the, the, book, the, book, yeah. except the not, book I don't think he's married to one of the books. so <laughs> yeah and so I was curious would Geordi ever settle down and he does in this alternate future but we don't know hopefully season two of Picard we get a little uh Lamar yeah, Burton action. <laughs> yeah I'm yeah. calling CBS I'm asking <laughs> give our characters more
1: We're continuing on with this theme of absent parents, which is sadly a trend in The Next Generation. And so I thought that next we could talk about Wesley Crusher and Beverly Crusher. Let's do it. The legends. The legends. So this is an instance where I think that even though they lost a member of their family, their unit is still very tight and very solid and filled with love and compassion rather than bitterness and judgment. And it's something that I'm really glad to see because we are talking a lot about trauma and about trying to reconcile. And it's just nice to see a family unit who remains really solid throughout practically the entirety of The Next Generation.
0: Yes, I agree. And I do think we should talk about Picard because the reason that Jack Crusher is dead, who's Wesley's dad, is because Picard made that hard decision where there were two people in danger. Picard saved one of them, didn't have time to save Jack, and that's why he passed away. And- There are several episodes where Wesley talks about how maybe he blames Picard. Sometimes he doesn't. Beverly Crusher had to deal with that on her own. So I think Picard is a very interesting person in the Crusher family because he is kind of the root of this devastation. Mm -hmm. And how difficult then is it when he sees Wesley Crusher in the pilot, which we talked about in our Encounter in Farpoint episode, Mm It's very difficult to see the man who kind of caused your father's death and then to serve under him for a long time. But to your point, I do agree. And I think that they were able to move on and continue going. And I think personally, it's because of how amazing Beverly Crusher is. And she's a fantastic mom. And she was able to push through and make it happen for her son. And she's a situation where if you're joining the Enterprise, of course you bring your family because she's not remarried. She just was posted as the CMO of the Enterprise. That's your dream job. Of course you bring your son along. Yeah. And because I think she has
1: such a strong bond with Wesley, I think that in this circumstance, the death of Jack brought them closer together because yes. they were having to both deal with their grief, but I think in a way that was helpful for one another. You know, I think they helped prop each other up. Beverly always meets Wesley where he is in every moment that he's in. And I just have nothing but endless respect for her as a mother. She kind of reminds me of our mom, actually. Even when I was first watching this show, she seems just very great at her job, but also great at being a mother. And she is able to balance that in such a beautiful way.
0: Powerful career, powerful mother. They even both have red hair. So shout out to our mom right now.
1: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So you did ask a bit about how Beverly Crusher dealt with the death of Jack. And she does talk about it a little bit in the episode Family where she gets some of Jack's items from storage on Earth. And she said that she still felt sad sometimes seeing this stuff, but she seems to have not moved on, but like gone
0: through a grief process in a very healthy way. She seems pretty far removed from his death, but of course it naturally comes up every once Mm -hmm. in a while and she deals with those emotions healthily.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think the thing that is mostly in her mind is her concern for how Wesley is dealing with his death always like I think it seems like her biggest priority around the death of Jack Crusher there's this holodeck tape thing that Jack Crusher made for Wesley when he was 18 to watch. And he was supposed to make a bunch of them to sort of show Wesley as he's growing up. But sadly, of course, he only made the one before he died. And so Beverly is kind of worried to show it to him because it might reopen old wounds. It might sort of set him back a bit. I do love to see that care for him, but also the fact that Troy encourages her and says, you need to let your son see this because... It can help him come to terms with his death. It can help him process his grief in these different ways. And I think that's why I really like Troy and Crusher's dynamic too, and how they're sort of sisters in this way is that they support each other. And she can help see those moments when maybe a mother is blinded by her
0: love for her son. Definitely. And I love that in the end, Beverly always trusts Wesley to do the right thing, mm-hmm. unless it's during the first duty episode. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, no, I know she did. Anyway. And she did do the right thing in the know, end. He did tell the truth. I love that scene. And I always cry when I see Jack Crusher talking to Wesley because you can't help but put yourself in Wesley's shoes seeing his father, especially that Jack Crusher is wearing the uniforms that they wear in the original series movies, Mm -hmm. kind of an old fashioned uniform. It's a sign that Jack Crusher has been gone for a long time. It was very special to hear how candid Jack was with Wesley. He's not like Kyle Riker, where he can't talk about his emotions. He freely tells Wesley I love you, and I love looking at you as a baby. And he has this line that says, when I see you, I see the face of everyone I've ever loved. Mm. Ooh, and I'm even like tearing up a little bit oh, now. gorgeous. Because you do feel that way when you see a baby, and especially when that baby is related to you. I remember when our littlest Dura sister was born, when I was 16, and here she was, and she's already reminding me of my little Rihanna and my dad. And it's, it's just something so magical about kids. And so I could really think about how Jack Crusher must have felt making that video. And it's just a really, really lovely scene. And I do feel sad that he wasn't alive for Wesley, because then he would have had two really wholesome parents.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I do wonder like how each of them would have been different had Jack survived. But of course, we don't get to see that we only get to see how they are now. And yeah, that was beautiful scene of closure for Wesley, I think, in a different way. I think that closure is sort of a false term because I think that grief you deal with your whole life, but I still think it was a good growing moment and a good processing moment for him. Yeah, definitely.
0: And especially as we see some episodes where Wesley is trying to enter the academy, and he fails, he tries again, and then he misses the ship to take his exam. Yeah, (laughs) And there's all these false starts. And I know it's to keep Wesley on the ship for from a writing perspective. But at the end, of Wesley's Starfleet career he, journeys he's, end. <laughs> yeah, literally in the episode Journeys End, which attempted to give Wesley some closure in the series, mm-hmm. we see that he ends up joining the Traveler. And a big reason why is because he sees his father in a vision with the Native Americans. That's also a f- effing fantastic episode journey's end and also mentioned again in a couple minutes when we talk about picard but wesley has a vision of his father telling him do not follow me we've seen wesley trying to follow him literally for seven years But I couldn't help but really empathize with Wesley because I'm at the point in my life where I'm in my mid-20s, I'm done with school, I'm trying to figure out what the F I want to do with my life. And I do want to follow what I did in school, obviously. I want to use my degrees, plural. (laughs) I want to make a life for myself. But you can't help but look around once you're outside of school and say, oh, wow, I was really on this fast track to one thing. But there's a thousand things I could do. And I'm not just good at this one thing I am I got my major in. I'm good at so many other things. And so it was kind of nice to see of all people, Wesley freaking Crusher, who's like Mr. Starfleet. Super genius. Have, Starfleet boy. <laughs> yeah. Have this same dilemma and follow his heart. Even when everyone on the Enterprise is And Picard is very like, come on, Wesley, you got to get your stuff together. You have to focus. And at the end, he comes to terms with it. And at the end of the episode, once Wesley is sure that he wants to go with the Traveler, then Beverly and Picard and everyone on the Enterprise says, wow, Wesley is really confident in this and we trust him to make the life that he wants for himself. And so it's a nice ending for Wesley, if not a little abrupt. I noticed he doesn't really have a lot of goodbyes, but I thought it was a nice arc for him to turn his back on everything he knows and do something else.
1: Yeah, I loved this part. I also loved how much that Beverly just accepted that. She first is questioning him, like, you've been acting rude and brash, like, what's going on? And he pretty much admits, I've been depressed because... I don't know if the Academy is right for me. And Beverly looks devastated that he didn't come and talk to her. But I think that this was something that Wesley needed to figure out on his own. And he also said to her that he was worried because they all had such high hopes for him and there was so much pressure. And she responds and says, we didn't realize the kind of pressure we were putting on you to be exactly what we expected you to be and she apologizes for that. And I think that when parents admit their mistakes, it gains more respect from their kids. And Beverly is not a person with a big ego. She's not a Lwaxana or a Kyle. She is just really good at admitting when she's wrong because she knows that it will strengthen her relationship with her son. And she knows that that is the kind of honesty and the give and take that they need to have a good relationship. And Beverly just wants the best for Wesley, no matter what he's going to do. And Even though it's this tiny moment, it's at the very end of the episode when Wesley's about to leave with the traveler. She says, don't forget to wear a coat in all those different dimensions you're going to. And I just love that sentiment because it's her being like, I'm still a mom. I'm still going to worry about you, but I'm sending you out and I'm letting you go and be the person that you wanna be. Beverly's showing that she's still gonna worry about Wesley no matter where he is, but she's accepting his path and she's not trying to place her own ideas of what he should be onto him. And that is such an important thing for a parent to do is to let your kid go and let them do their thing because otherwise, it turns into a Lwaxana situation where you're trying to do what you think is best for your child instead of what is actually best for them.
0: And only they can decide that. I totally agree. I think Crusher is just a great mom. Mm-hmm. And I also love that she is okay with changing her relationship with Wesley as he gets older, because the older you get, get as a kid the more you realize oh my parents are also just humans trying to survive and so the fact that she admits her mistake to him is a big deal that she admits that she's wrong and that wesley can view her as an adult as she is beginning to view him as an adult too absolutely
1: um so believe it or not Ashley and i decided to watch the episode sub rosa in this rewatch against all of the better judgments of my brain (laughs) because it is about it is about beverly losing her grandmother and so we had to talk about this for a bit but of course she is also banging a space ghost in this episode so there's a lot going on a lot to unpack
0: Not only is she banging a space ghost, we find out that her entire family since the 1600s has been banging the same space ghost. The same one, guys. Like, this is a big deal. But
1: the only thing I do actually want to say about this is that I didn't realize until this episode that... Beverly's mother died when she was young and that she was raised by her Nana. And so that her Nana was sort of acting as her mother. And
0: I think that Nana was
1: probably a great mom when she was not banging a space
0: ghost. <laughs> Well, and we we find out that the reason her mother died so young was because of this space ghost. <laughs> he sucked all the life out of her and she died young. So this guy is the reason why Howard women have been dying for centuries. <laughs> it's wild. I was very shook by this. But the thing
1: I did enjoy about this episode is that, first of all, Beverly breaks the cycle and she gets rid of the space ghost, which is great. like Good for her. She she really did it. But also the fact that family is really tied to nostalgia. But I don't really think of long lineage. And I think that a lot of these Next Generation episodes allowed us to consider the lineage of a family and how important that is. And I think that that is something that Picard is very entrenched in. So I thought that we could talk about that when it relates to John Luke Picard.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I also was curious, just watching Sub Rosa, the only question, I mean, I had a lot of questions, <laughs> but <laughs> the one that pertains to this podcast episode is, I'm curious in the 24th century, and there's no answer, but I'm curious what everybody's opinions are about changing your last name during mm-hmm. marriage, because obviously we know Beverly Crusher as Crusher, so she took Jack's last name, mm-hmm but she continually references in this episode the Howard women. Yeah. And I love that idea of keeping that maiden name for so long and sending it down the line. I'm wondering if all of these women have changed their name in marriage, but then secretly are Howard just to the space ghost, or if actually in Crusher's timeline none of the women changed their last names. And it just got me thinking about how we think of last names similar to how Picard does. Picard mentions that there was a Picard who fought at Trafalgar. Right. And there was a Picard who did this and who did that. But with women, we can't really do that with our lineage the way that it is now because – Rihanna and I are both herds, but that's one of our grandfather's last names. But as we've mentioned before, Mm -hmm. we have basically four families that we were raised
1: with. Well, and Beverly's full name is Beverly Cheryl Howard Crusher. So she did keep Howard, but just moved it to her middle name. So I think that that is another Mm -hmm. way to sort of maintain her lineage and maintain her family name.
0: So let's talk about Picard. Let's do it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy, his family has also got some hot Earl Grey tea. So Ashlyn, I think you should take the lead because
0: I know that you love Picard more than you love most things in life. So the Picard lineage, as we learned from these past couple episodes, is long. And there have been Picards in every aspect of history. And we learn in the episode, Journey's End, how there's even a Picard who fought to remove Native Americans from their homes. Yeah, And Picard has no way to really verify if this is true. But the leader of the tribe says that it is, and Picard is here to make amends. Again, mm-hmm. go watch that episode. It is fantastic. Okay. This podcast, unfortunately, is not a review of that episode. Otherwise, we would talk a lot more about it. But yeah. John Luke grew up hearing stories about how amazing his family is and how important the winery is that they run in LeVar, France. But despite all of this family background, we never even have a hint or a whiff of any family until Picard becomes a Borg in Best of Both Worlds, Part 1 and 2. Mm -hmm. And then in the second episode of Season 4, called Family, he returns to France. And Troy is questioning him, wondering, why are you going home when we're back on Earth? When Picard has never chosen to spend his shore leave amongst his family before. And obviously, he's feeling terrible because he's just been a Borg. And that's the worst. And he's now returned to being a human. And he's working through all of the those very, very traumatic feelings. But I kind of wonder if he's feeling withdrawal from being a part of a collective. Mm-hmm. And that is the reason why he goes to France, because he was a part of a family and And it's the worst family ever, the Borg. (laughs) It's one mentality, but it's a feeling of never being alone. And I wonder, when Picard was removed from the collective, he's feeling alone, and he's acutely aware of it. And so I think he went back to France to solve some of those issues that have been in the back of his head for a long time, and he knows I've never had a good relationship with my real family. And maybe it's subconscious. I don't think he really even knows why he goes back to France, but he follows his instincts and he knows that that's what he needs to do and so I'm fascinated by his choice just like Troy (laughs) to go visit his brother who he's kind of estranged from Robert and his really wonderful wife and their son Renee
1: Mm mm-hmm Wow, Ashlyn, I never thought of that collective mentality. I thought that he was going back to try to make changes with his family dynamic because how traumatic events can often make you want to reconnect with the things that are important to you. And I think that he knew he could have died. And he was very close to dying. And it's practically a miracle that talk about Crusher being a miracle worker too. Anyway, that's for another day. It's a miracle that he survived. And so I thought it came more from he's not putting off reconciling or at least attempting to recreate a family bond after a traumatic event because he's like, I could die at any moment. I have to do this. I think it's both.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think that's extremely valid. And so I love that he goes to France. And I love his interaction with his nephew when he first arrived. And despite all of Picard's claims that he hates children, he is so cute with Renee.
1: Yes. And first of all, he hasn't returned in 20 years. So again, we see someone who has been distanced from their blood family for quite a long time. And he says, and what better place to find oneself than on the streets of one's home village? And so I think it's another thing that he's trying to do is to rediscover himself through coming home. And homecoming is so important for these moments. I mean, that's why we all go home for thanksgiving and christmas not this year please (laughs) Um, but when we can and it's why we flock towards each other when there are these important moments and i also think though that returning home can be both cathartic and it can open old wounds it can be this double-edged batleth (laughs) so it's something that is hard to reconcile but i think it's something that often has to be done in order to move
0: forward I'm struck too by when Picard first comes home, he just stares at the chateau mm. because and he says, every tree, every brush seems untouched by the passing of time. And mm. I feel that way when I go home, you know, you see, oh, that's the same old clock that's been here since I was born. And <laughs> I really empathize with Picard in that moment, especially because on the starship, everything is changing all the time. And I think that's what, John luc hates so much about being home is time does stand still, yeah. and he wants to be out there and fighting and making changes, and so to be home and to just sit and drink wine and relax seems like torture for him.
1: Exactly, that's so true, and it was sad to see that Car doesn't even know who Renee or Marie are. He's never met them. He's never seen a picture of them, which clearly means, like you said, that he is estranged with his brother Robert even just sending each other transmissions, partially because Robert seems very against technology and of like the quote unquote new ways of life. He says that life has become too convenient and that they don't have replicators in the house and which, you know, God bless Marie for
0: (laughs) doing all the cooking anyway. Seriously, I was actually thinking about that because when they're having that scene at dinner, John Luke mentions, this is the same argument I remember our mother and father having. Mm. And so I feel bad for Marie. I don't know anything about her family. But I wonder, did she grow up with replicators? And now she's forced to cook for Robert because he doesn't want to upgrade? Or has she always been cooking? And now that he doesn't want replicators, she's kind of forced to cook for them all the time. You know, we don't dive into that. But I was wondering, is Marie okay? Yeah. <laughs> What's she doing? Like, she seems like she's pretty in love and pretty happy. But like.
1: also with Robert, I found that he seems to be holding on to the past while Picard can't go back to the past. They are in two very different minds just as it seemed their parents were, as Ashlyn, you just said. But I found this dynamic fascinating because I think that's partially what showed the distance. There's a lot of reasons why these two brothers are not talking to one another, but I think a part of it is their fundamental disagreement about progression and about how various lives should be lived I mean even Robert doesn't want Renee to go into Starfleet but he thinks that Picard is encouraging Renee by his stories and by Picard's excellence and him kind of Loki being a hero, even though Picard won't admit that he
0: is. All this, There's a lot of baggage here, a lot to unpack. Yeah, well, and you almost said the quote, but when John Luke's friend Louis comes to visit him, he does say to Picard, you reach for the future and your brother reaches for the past. That's exactly what's happening. That's exactly the problem in their relationship. His brother, Robert, also brings up that Picard was always winning the prizes and was always first in his class and valedictorian and everything, while Robert just sat back and he inherited the winery
1: mm-hmm. and
0: yeah that would cause some issues too it it doesn't seem like either Picard brother wants to talk about their feelings with each other again until they're fighting in the mud yeah (laughs) just like Riker and his dad there's something about having a little tussle that brings the emotions to the surface and I think for Picard because I know him a lot better the fact that he's laughing with his brother and showing positive emotion for him it is so tied with if he shows any emotion at all then it all comes rushing out. Yes. And that happens in our own lives. Laughter is so close to tears. And when you are that vulnerable and exposed, your true feelings just come tumbling out. Mm. And I just love that scene with Patrick Stewart because he's such an incredible actor, which we know mm. that he's amazing. But when he's covered in mud, cry laughing, I can't love him anymore than when I see how wonderful he is in that scene truly incredible and i think this moment is way more cathartic for
1: picard and robert than it ever was for kyle and will because i think that they are less far gone as family members i think that they have a lot of disagreements but picard has built up a lot of resentment because he was bullied by robert but robert feels very overshadowed by picard and so that is definitely a tense dynamic but it's something that i'm really glad that they have the emotional maturity to talk about and even though yes they hit each other a couple Times and roll around the mud, they still talk about it. And Robert says to Jean-Luc, he says, You've been terribly hard on yourself. And I love Mm. that moment of Robert recognizing that Picard sets these impossible standards for himself. And he's also real with him. You know, he said that what happened to you with the Borg will be with you for the rest of your life. He says that this is not going to be just an easy fix coming home and doing this, but maybe you needed your brother to look after you. And I just think that Robert knows Jean-Luc so well in a way that I didn't realize that they both sort of have each other's number.
0: Yes. I also didn't realize that Picard needed anyone Yeah. Ever. And that's when he punches him, too, is when Robert says, you just needed your older brother to look after you again. That's exactly when Picard breaks. This is another example of someone reverting to their past selves when they're with their family, because Picard would never punch anyone ever as a captain. While he's at work in probably every other aspect of his life, he would never punch someone unprovoked. Well, kind of unprovoked, the way that he punches Robert. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that is just... The old dynamics they used to have coming back into play when they're adults, and I love after they resolve it, they're humming and singing together, totally (laughs) smashed um, and (laughs) covered in mud. And Marie walks in and is so happy to see them getting along again. But it was kind of a shock for me to see that Picard every once in a while does need someone. as Robert says, oh, it turns out my brother is human. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love that scene.
1: And I think it's because Picard is built up even for the viewers as this untouchable figure. And so this episode is so important as a part of the series and a part of Picard's character that we are allowed to see his vulnerability and also to see that he has somebody to lean on even if it's a tough relationship. I think that sometimes family members are the only people you can go to for certain things. Like Ashlyn, there's some things I will only get your advice on versus like a friend or someone else, you know, because you know me better than literally anyone else on this planet. And so I think that especially siblings, you know, we have Mm -hmm. unique pleasure of getting to know someone so entirely that you can really go back to them in times of need and ground that person if needed.
0: I don't like Robert at all, but I love how he helps Picard during this episode. Mm -hmm. The thing that I regret is that we don't have any more episodes. So our knowledge of Picard's family is extremely limited. Mm -hmm. And the last thing that we know is actually in the movie Generations, where we find out that Robert and Renée have died in a fire so awful it is so horrible and especially after just watching that family episode (laughs) it hurt me too and i was weeping with picard because also picard is not only dealing with the loss of his brother and his nephew but with the thought that his family line will end all the pressure that his father put on him to continue the family line and make picard a great name all of the history he learned about the picard's it's gone. Yeah. Because Wayne has passed away and John Luke has chosen not to have children.
1: Yeah, this scene is so sad because also he says, I've come to feel that Renee was as close as I would get to having a child of my own. Mm-hmm. And oh, if that doesn't just gut you right in Picard's artificial heart. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like it is so tough. In this moment, to see him just completely sobbing with Troy there. And I think that, like you said, especially after seeing this episode and seeing how it ends where Renee is looking at the stars and out mm. in the field thinking about joining Starfleet. And Picard is talking to Deanna in this scene and generation saying that the most tragic thing is that Renee will never get to have these moments to listen to music to join starfleet to go and see the stars and it's to just, fall in love yeah all of these things that you expect out of your life and it's just cut so short and I can't imagine the kind of things you'd go through. And that's what even I think hits harder in this Nexus scene in Generations where he is suddenly given all these children and Renee's there and his family's there. Just after finding out that that his brother and nephew are dead to go into the Nexus and to see Renee, it must just bring up a whole chaotic mix of emotions
0: especially at christmas time which is you know generally when everyone hangs out together oh what a really really difficult scene in such a random movie to put that into Mm -hmm. i know they were trying to create this arc for picard and ultimately what happens in the nexus scene is picard chooses his duty over his family and i think it's a little easier in the Nexus, because obviously it's not real. And I think if Picard got the chance to do it all over again, he still would not have children. Mm-hmm. Maybe he would have become closer to his family than he had been during the course of the series. But I think Picard is not a family man. Mm-mm. That's not who he is. His family is the crew aboard the Enterprise. And yeah. we see them throughout all seven seasons becoming closer and closer together, especially his relationship with Beverly and Guinan. And Riker. And Riker and Troy and Worf and Data. Man, Jordy. Everyone. I mean, I'm saying yeah. all their names because <laughs> they're such a close family. And I think someone like Picard is just a legend. He's someone who becomes an untouchable figure in history. And to know that he was alone for most of his life is very sad to me and just makes me revere him even more because he chose his family. Yeah, absolutely.
1: I think that's a beautiful sentiment. And also... I'm very happy that we get to see so much love between all of these crewmates, you know, throughout the series. And something that we're going to talk about over and over is the fact that the crew is a family and that Troy at one point was like, Mother, I am with my family. This is where I belong. And it just reminds me again that family is is what we make it. I'm just also very glad that Spa and Data got reunited
0: at the end of Generations. Like Yes, <laughs> as Troy says, there's a family reunion to yeah, watch. Another family reunited. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I am also excited next week to talk about Data's family because that is about as complicated as Spock's family. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we have Worf to talk about next week. We will even talk about the Duras sisters next week. Yeah. I am very excited to watch 16 episodes to prepare yes, <laughs> for next week's wait. episode. A lot, of, a lot of spicy Klingon episodes we're going to watch. Yeah, <laughs> oh, so super spicy. And <laughs> (laughs) I am just so grateful to have my family. My chosen family is you, Rihanna, and of course, all my friends, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And I am so happy to be recording this podcast with you. And I think family, especially around the holidays, is a really great subject to talk about. And I am just so lucky that we have these amazingly talented writers and creators of Star Trek to guide us through these trying times yes absolutely <laughs> so lucky and we will see you all next
1: week for part two of the next generation family series
0: thank you for listening to the dura sisters podcast please tune in next week when we have our third episode of the family series which will include the familiar relationships of the next generation characters data Worf, the dura sisters and miles o'brien Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter and check to see our suggested watch list for our next episode. Please give us five stars and leave a comment if you like what you've heard today. And if you would like to become a patron, please join us at thepatreon.com slash the Dura Sisters podcast. Any dollar amount per month will get you exclusive access to our Star Trek trivia series as well as a review of the Lower Decks. Please email us at... The Duras Sisters Podcast at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments. Our intro, Klingon Battle, was written by Jerry Goldsmith. Our outro, Worf's Revenge, was written by Aurillo Voltaire. What do you call it when that strategic operations officer on DS9 runs as fast as he can? Worf Speed.